0: This is Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Digiday producer Aditi Sango. This week, we're bringing you sessions from the Digiday Agency Summit we held in Charleston, South Carolina. We discussed what's hurting the agency world and how to build the next great modern agency. About two years ago, the global media agency Essence had to pause and think about how they're going to grow and it made decisions that led this boutique digital shop to becoming a $3 billion global media agency. Christian Jewell, CEO of Essence, joined Digital co-executive editor Shereen Patak on stage to talk about how the agency made it happen.
1: How are you? I'm great. Great, you've had $3 billion, how Essence has strayed itself amid explosive growth. I figured we could start from <laughs> the beginning. So you could tell us how explosive it really was. Um, but you guys have a very interesting story of how you actually, a couple of years or so. But I thought we could start with a story of how Essence actually started, because I don't think a lot of people know it. I think it's an interesting part that made you guys what it is today.
2: Sure. Um, like to compliment you on your lack of seating. It's <laughs> super uncomfortable. Yeah? Um, <laughs> I know.
1: I planned it that way.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: is it also warm under the lights?
2: Super. Good. This is, I'm having a great okay. time so far. Um, it's
1: all working out. I've planned this.
2: So, I think it was a couple years ago, actually, we did something with Digiday, and I stood up and we did this paid sponsorship, and I opened with, I'm speaking on behalf of an African American women's magazine, um, because most people don't know what Essence is, and I think in the last couple of years, hopefully, we've turned that around a little bit more. Um, but we actually just had our 13-year anniversary. Um, we started back in London, uh, three co-founders, I was not one of them, and they were actually an offshoot from a bank. And they were doing some online marketing for a bank, and they really thought a lot about how do we do acquisition-based marketing. And they got very deep into technology and trying to understand granular-level data. um, In order to run camp, honestly, there were some very small budgets, and their first few customers were Carphone Warehouse and some other kind of large-scale direct marketers. And they just kind of kept going through this idea of, like, we need to get to the kind of the core DNA of data in order to understand what's performing. Um, And they built proprietary technology. They built um, a lot of sort of... Advanced learning agenda type questions. Or, well, how do we look at media effectiveness? And this is back, you know, before two thousand. So, or sorry, mid two thousands. And so when you look at that, um, that sort of put the DNA in the company around really being a kind of organization that mm-hmm. then actually brought us into our first client with Google, which then grew, of course, to today, which is kind of one of our primary clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of formed the basis of the DNA of the company.
1: Um, and then you ended up becoming part of Group M. We did. How did, t- walk us through that whole process, because I think a large part of it was Essence always, and you know, as a reporter, I'd kind of hear from you on the brand side. Like, it was like, here, you know what Essence is? We're not the African-American women's magazine. Like, right. So I'd hear from you for many years. And I think the thing that was always for media agencies have a clear narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, the, when you became part of Group M, I always wondered how that actually went down, and how those two things actually work together now.
2: So I came on, actually, I just had my four and a half year anniversary. Um, so, a little bit back before that, I was at Razorfish for 13 years. I'd been through the publicist side of it, the Microsoft side of it. Um, and I saw sort of a, a general blurring of what the agency was, was doing. And I thought, you know, Razorfish is where I built my career, so tons of respect for what is going on. That it needed a lot of focus, it needed a lot of work within the technology space itself, and it needed a lot of proprietary tools. And that's never been more important than it is right now when you look at what's happening with Google and Facebook and Amazon and kind of the walls that are going up around those environments. I mean, really the idea of an agency is to provide value to clients as they're trying to figure out how to connect with their consumers. And it's hard for us to do that if we can't get in and actually provide some level of comparative analysis across all those different areas. So um, when I met the guys at Essence, it was actually Matt Isaacs, who was the the main founder. Um, You know, I kind of admired what hired our 1400. but it really had that kind of deep technology focus in the business. And what happened about two years ago now, so we started to look at what our growth needs were. Um, Google's really pushing for global consistency for us. We had HP at the time, which was also looking for expansion into China, into India, um, into Australia. And we started to look at another one of the founders wanted to leave the company. And so for us, it seemed a natural time to pause and kind of say, okay, what's the right way to grow the company? If I've got all these capital requirements, I've got open four offices across all of APAC, I needed open in candidate, same to those things. It was a good time to kind of look at the market. So we looked at a variety of different things. We went to private equity houses and looked at, could we bring in some, some additional capital that way? We looked at um, strategic investors across all the different holding companies, some non-traditional ones. We looked at the consulting organizations and saw you know, what would be interesting there. And we really didn't know what the market would look like for Essence. Um, we had a high concentration of one client, extremely loyal and really good to us, but still high concentration. Um, We had a lot of things going for us. I mean, we were globally on one operating system, Mm -hmm. one procedure, putting that out completely. We run something called Olive, which is sort of a medium management system that sits on top of all the DSPs and DMPs and everything else that sort of allows us to automate a lot of things that are manual in other agencies. We do that around the world. Um, And to kind of fast forward through the whole story, in the end, um, WPP was incredibly compelling for us. they offered us the opportunity to be our own network within Group M, mm-hmm. um, which was really rare as a digital kind of standalone agency. We didn't do any offline at the time. Um, they offered us arms. Um, they basically said all the things that Group M doing. This was before M platform, of course. But mm-hmm. you know, you can take or choose what you want. Anything you don't keep, maintain on your own. Um, complete autonomy around our hiring practices, our development, our training, our pay structure. So you could be yourself. I, I joked that they couldn't even change our soda vendor without my written approval. Um, <laughs> And it was great i mean it's really what we wanted and at the same time then of course they allowed me the liquidity to some of the founders that wanted to move on could do that um and they provide us a ton of strategic investment around location Big opportunity in the data world and when you're looking at group m who runs about half the world's media and you had the scale we had scale all of a sudden overnight but we still had the protection on the independence
1: um you mentioned uh google facebook uh amazon We've sort of been talking a little bit about, it. we've been wondering a little bit if the tides have shifted when it mm-hmm. comes to media where you know, Google and Facebook are finally sort of getting a little bit of pushback. Are they under siege? Where do you sort of see kind of the duopoly, maybe seem to be a triopoly? Um, do you think it's under siege? Do you think that marketers and their agencies might take back power?
2: I mean, I think there's a lot of things going on in the industry right now. That's, um, I think agencies themselves have to pick a side. And I've always said this. I think you know the idea of agency and principle is, is rough. Um, so I think understanding where you sit in that, and if you're going to be both, being very open about that. Um, I think that you know, trusting Facebook to monitor itself, or trusting Google to monitor itself, or Amazon and, and doing the results is, is tough. I think that's mm-hmm. a place, and I think they're opening up to that. Um, and so I think you know, allowing third-party measurement in, comparative measurement is a big thing. Mm-hmm. I think that. Getting real expertise in those platforms and understanding that these things are really early. Um, I was with one of the very senior engineers at Google the other day, and he was saying, you know, one of the problems um, is that as we develop, I was just asking around, you know, set top box and what's happening around addressable television. And he goes, you know, we, we're going to optimize around this set top box, but usually, or unfortunately, probably by the time we figure it out, it, the set top box will be irrelevant, and all of a sudden, everybody's going to be just casting from their telephone or whatever you know they've got in their device or their device. And he goes, really, still everything is on this. And so just getting the expertise in these platforms, um, are we under siege? I don't, I don't think we really put it that far. I think they're exciting platforms. Mm-hmm. I think there's never been better content in the world. There's never been more easily accessed. I mean, just flying out here, I'm just walking down the aisle of the airplane looking at how many people are watching things in different formats and different ways that used to be completely un, un, unavailable.
1: Do you think that then there's a gut level sort of deficit of trust, especially among CMOs, clients, mark, anyone on the marketing side?
2: I mean, maybe eight to twelve percent somewhere is what generally that. Are. But if you pick up the Wall Street Journal the New York Times, you'll see headlines saying you know fifty percent of the overall digital ecosystem is fraud. Um, the industry needs to do a better job of coming out with one set of truth in this. Um, we need to figure out what's really going on in terms of um, in terms of fraud, in terms of what the levels of fraud are. There's a big difference between brand safety and fraud, um, and the agencies need to do a really good job of protecting their clients. Um, I've not tried to toot our own horn too much on this, but you know, we, we have about 1% fraud in the campaigns that we run, like checks every time we run a campaign. Mm-hmm. I don't think many agencies have the capability to run those kind of checks for everyone. And I don't think many clients will pay agencies well, to that's spend the that kind is. of time doing it that.
1: Costs, there's resources that it takes to make those checks happen.
2: Well, compensation is a huge problem in our entire industry right now. Um, getting clients to pay for the value that they want
1: mm-hmm.
2: is something that's really, really important.
1: Let's talk a little bit about how you've shifted in terms of what you're offering to clients. And you've been you've gotten different types of projects, you're doing different types of work now. Um, what is that you're making more money and if that's changed some of those compensation issues?
2: Um, well, the most recent configuration around Essence, so about six months ago, um, so Group M is comprised of Mediacom, Mindshare, Maxis, Essence. Um, did I miss one? I think I missed one. Um, regardless, <laughs> MEC, Yeah. sorry, now Wavemaker. Um, so about six months ago, or thereabouts, we we hatched the idea to sort of look at could we take um, Maxis and take some of the key clients that Essence had already incorporated into. So Team Arrow, which is Target, NBCU, British Telecom, coming in in those areas as a sort of digital specialist. Mm-hmm. And so we're able to sort of do a reverse takeover in the most recent piece, where Essence really now runs all of those eight all of those different clients, which is great because it gives us access to about two billion dollars in offline media, in addition to the billion we're already running into d- digital media. So for us now we're really working hard to look at you know, what can be digitized in that, how can we take things like measurement technology platforms um, and try and close the loop as best we can in all types of media. And I think, to the best of my knowledge, it's the first time one of the big holding companies has sort of given the digital kids the keys to the, the overall kingdom, I guess. And what we do with it um, remains to be seen, but we've got a really, really senior team that we've put together around the world, um, folks that have been running big businesses for a long time. Uh, Adam Gerber, who ran investment for ABC, Mm -hmm. their strategy, and before that he was at at Group M. Um, So, some really key people that I think are going to help us change the industry.
1: Have you used, have you sort of had some of those new models change the way you're being paid?
2: No, I mean, we've always been a, a fee-based service, so Essence has always operated in a completely transparent, mm-hmm. um, disclosed manner. And mm-hmm. that goes back to our early DNA, of just yeah. trying to understand the granular level of what works and what doesn't work. And so we want to be able to get into saying, this is what you pay us to do, and this is what's actually working in your media over here. And this mm-hmm. is, if we're going to do something as similar as just small as like mobile geotargeting. Mm-hmm. Here's what you actually pay for that data element on that. Mm-hmm. We're not going to buy a big pipe that's just going to bundle that in with a bunch of other things that we don't know, which generally t- takes you out of sort of like blind DSPs and, and those areas. Um, so for us, we've always been very clear, okay, it's going to take us... Dispar- so then what's, where, when you say
1: there's a compensation issue in the industry, if it's not with you, where do you sort of see it?
2: Well, if I'm over here saying it's going to cost me, I'm going to make up numbers for a minute, it's going to cost me $5 million to run your business on right. you know, an FTE basis, and that's you know, 20 or 30 people, whatever it is. And then someone else comes in and says, oh, but I'll do it for $2 million dollars but they're gonna actually take it out of a supply chain side or they're gonna layer on artificial technology costs into a platform or they're getting rebates that aren't completely disclosed mm-hmm. and the client is either aware of that or not aware of that. These reviews and driving down to lowest cost instead of highest value is a big thing. And I'm not saying fee doesn't have to play into value, but we need to get back to driving to our client's actual value. And if you come down to this point that all you're doing is filling IOs, mm-hmm. you're not really providing value and that will get automated more and more and more. I mean, there's there's pretty strong case, you could just go to DBM directly at that point, and then you're going to see Google start to come around you, or Facebook come around you, because all you're doing is is basically putting a human layer in what's a pretty automated system.
1: Well, I think that's where, that's, I think, the argument for a lot of these non-agency entities, whether it's ComSET, a lot of that because of, they have a ginormous supply chain or logistics operation, and they just, they can layer just the agency part right in. I mean, that's, do you feel like that is the competitive advantage that they're actually offering? Because they can absorb a lot of those shocks. The fact is, a lot of, Agency only is maybe not be able to absorb a lot of that, which is when you see that, which is why you see the fees being driven down and possibly leading to all these other issues.
2: I mean, as a marketer, I'd be really reluctant to outsource everything to Google, or to Facebook, or to Amazon. I mean, I just think of what we talked about before around the dangers of them providing, and it's hard to make that shift. I would be looking for an agency that can help me understand the effectiveness across all of those, as well as my analog media and all the other places that I'm investing in brand communications. Um, I. Their advantage, sure. I mean, they offer self-serve platforms and those can be really good. And it's always tempting, I think, for a marketer to look at, well, why don't I just buy the top three and call it done? And you know, I think it is silly to squeeze an agency out in order to, (laughs) it's it's the small money, I mean, when you really think about it. So as long as an agency can prove its value and actually look at that, and I think the only way you can do that is an agency technology and how you use it. I think looking at your own data and how you use it, looking at the right use of second-party data, third-party data, all of those things become really important, and that's not really gonna happen inside the walled garden. They're gonna push you further and further into their garden, and I'm not sure that's where all marketers wanna be.
1: How has some of those? How have some of those shifts actually translated internally? Have you changed the way you work on an internal basis, whether it's reorganizing the company or finding new skill sets that have to do some of those extra things you're doing?
2: I mean, I think it's already been said today, but the hardest thing right now is talent. So we've had to organize, um, I mean, like I said, we went from three or 400 people just four years ago to 1,400 right now. Mm -hmm. I've got another 350 open racks right now around the world. Um, It's incredibly hard to find good people in the space right now. Um, I think it's a frustrating place to be. There's been articles written all over in the UK right now about talent and high-level talent leaving the market, that Mm -hmm. agencies are tired of getting beat up, that clients are really hard on them, that the procurement cycles are too short, constantly in review. Yeah, we
1: wrote one of
2: them. Yeah, I mean, those things aren't fun. and I think clients have to realize, like, the more churn in your agency, the worse for them. So I think getting back to, again, value, building relationships with clients. Um, I mean, I'm really proud of the relationship we have with Google. We don't, we're don't, we not flawless, but when we make mistakes. We try to call ourselves on it, and if we don't, they call us on it, and we talk about how to fix it. Um, and I think we need to get back to those types of things, knowing that long-term, we're both trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, I think that's hard right now. I think getting back to good people makes a big difference. And holding, we were operated Our global average right now is 14% attrition. That's really low relative to the industry. Mm -hmm. We pay highly competitively. We promote. About 40% of our promotions come internally. Um, And we don't wait for cycles. If we think somebody's ready, we bump them. It's not uncommon someone will get promoted two or three times a year. Um, We hire right out of university. We train really well. And I think we have to get back to sort of creating a place like that and talking about people as big agencies Mm -hmm. um, in order to create something that people want to stick around for.
1: The talent crisis has been going on for a while, though. I mean, about... July 2014, I think I was on stage with Pete Stein at the time, and he told me, and I think this is like a big thing, he was like, oh, we have 45% attrition or something like that. And I was like, wow, that that seems really high. Is it that the agencies have not built a brand that makes people want to work for whatever agency it is, or is it that they're generally not good people out there?
2: I was there with with Pete when attrition was 45%, and I remember (laughs) some of the the reasons for that. I think we need to get back to building brands that are growing. We need to invest in people with a plan to grow. I think some of the organizations that are out there are, are creating policies and procedures that are actually meant to create efficiency and not growth. And so prevent things from happening. Um, that's a tough cycle, and you got to break it. And I think that's one of the things when we look at, you know, there's a lot of rep press that got written when Essence came in, of trying to get Essence to change Group M, not to make Group M overlap Essence. Yeah. And those are some of the things we've been working on is, you know, how do we release some of this built-up tensions in the system around almost like pushing it down instead of actually elevating it.
1: Give me maybe one or two things that you've done internally that's just, that's just kind of worked.
2: Um, well, we that take, we take it. feedback. Honestly, this sounds super hokey. And that was the one picture I was going to bring. We have happiness four of them. And just every time someone walks by them, it's by the coffee machine, it's by this, so they just kind of bang the button. And I get daily reports from all of our people, like, how are you feeling around the world? Um,
1: and then what do you do with them?
2: What I, uh, Nothing, really. Um,
1: <laughs> God, people are just really I Actually, bad. every
2: time I visit, I walk by, and bang the green one as many times as I can. <laughs> Um, no, I get daily. Don't let me dealer, dealer, into your office. I, I get, really
1: am in the mood to skew this. Um,
2: <laughs> no, we look at it, and you know, okay. if something's really spiking, we'll go. Well, what's going on in Singapore? We have culture and talent people deployed around the world. I got thirty people that sit in that department, and so I'll email them. Hey, what's going on in Singapore? You know, we're seeing a spike. Really, it's it's all about the training. Obviously, we knew it was gonna be a really busy time of the year, so we rolled out a bunch of Q four things that people cared about, and um, you know, it could be anything as small as just hey, everybody gets Uber for a week, no matter where they're going, if they're working late. To we're gonna bring in. We did, you know, puppy days puppy? in New York, okay, all the sort of stuff that, gonna suggest, that okay. happens in the industry. Um, we're totally aware. Uh, 90% of our workforce is millennials, so, yeah. you know. But it's
1: things at, like that. It's not it's being some aware. sort of systemic unhappiness. That, no, about I mean, the,
2: look, we do all the, the other stuff, itself. too. We promote, we do. But sure. I think people want to, they want to feel like the work that they're doing matters, um, and they want clients that care about them and that they can care about. Mm-hmm. And for us, we've been very fortunate with the systems and the clients that we have. That we've been able to provide that for our employees. have got a minute or two for
1: questions. Who has your father? Christian?
0: After this break, Christian will take questions from the audience. He'll talk about how to tread that fine line between proposing a promising future and setting realistic expectations. But right now, a quick break to tell you about Digiday Plus. It's our subscription product where you'll get the Digiday magazine and a lot of valuable research about the industry. Plus, you will get to be a part of exclusive member events and our Digiday Plus Slack channels, where we hold town halls with industry leaders and innovators every other week. We'll make sure you'll stay on the pulse of every development in the industry with us. Please sign up. It's at digidayplus.com. You spoke about how it was nice for some of these larger brands to be kind of given the keys to the kingdom, uh, especially from kind of a digital standpoint. Um, I'm curious as to how you kind of navigate the course to get there. Because in my experience, especially with the inexperienced clients when it comes to digital media, they will be on either one or two like ends of a spectrum where, where either they'll be incredibly skeptical of digital because they, they're just not experienced with it, or they'll read some articles about it and think it's the greatest thing ever and have absurdly high expectations about it, like thinking they can just toss 500 bucks boosting a Facebook post and within a week get 350K in revenue no matter what the content is. Right. So how do you kind of navigate that? both like proposing a promising future down that road, but also being grounded and honest with it, like tempering their expectations?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I guess there were a couple pieces to that. One, we had already been engaged at both Target and at NBCU, so it helped us in that sense of coming in and really rationalizing what was working and what wasn't. And obviously, opening movies is a lot different than you know, having a big back-to-school season. Um, and retail and entertainment are completely different. For me, coming into Group M and talking to Kelly Clark and all the folks that had to go through this whole thing, and even Martin, was not coming in as the, hey, you guys, I think there's a tendency in digital to sort of be like, everybody else is stupid and we're super smart. And everybody else is old school and we're new school. And really realizing that TV works. I mean, and and big brands need broad-breach media and big impact creative ideas in order to be successful and looking at how all these things come together and being cognizant of the fact that what we're really talking about when we talk about digital, it's just measurement data, right? I mean, digital as a whole, I don't know what digital really means anymore. This TV's digital, but it's probably being fed by a HDMI cable somewhere. Like, it it just doesn't, doesn't fit anymore. So I think when you're thinking about, when we talk about that, we talk about data and measurement and the ability to understand what's working and the ability to look at all that in one particular area. But looking at it in a agnostic, granular level data first approach is very, very different. Um, And I think that's the piece that we're trying to drive these clients. And I think when you look at what the potential is for an Amazon or Facebook or a Google, I mean, they could snap up a broadcast network overnight. You wouldn't even notice it in their balance sheets. So I think what we have to think about is just sort of how these platforms are gonna roll out. I mean, Amazon already did it with NFL, right? So how are we measuring effectiveness on that that platform and how can we do that? And I think the people that have been really living in analytics and data and measurement and optimizations have probably an inherent advantage in that area. Um, 70% of the work that we do is post campaign. So I think if that's the world you're gonna to start to live in and when you talk to CMOs who are sort of aware of that, they're like, oh, this makes sense. I'm not working with an agency that's, you know, thinking everybody else is stupid and they're the smartest. They're just understanding that probably the future really requires an agency who lives in that world. Um, I think it helps. And for us, that was the approach we took and we found clients that are um, excited by that vision. and Believe that that's probably the future for them as well, especially when you're looking at retail, whether it's multi-channel or you're looking at entertainment where you know, you've got so many different um, brand contact points and distribution points around the world.
1: Great, Christian, thank you so thank much. Thank you very much.
0: That's it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. If you like this episode, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review. We're on iTunes, Stitcher and Google Play. To learn more about our summits, visit digiday.com slash events. For exclusive member events, sign up at digidayplus.com and we'll be back soon with another episode.